from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Amen? That's a true statement. Uh, God has uh, called everything that has breath to praise Him and has made everything in the world, uh, created it to praise Him and to bring Him honor. Uh, I do hope you'll join us tonight for the children's Christmas program. That's going to be fun. It's going to be, I'm sure it will be cute. Uh, there will be a lot of uh, opportunity to uh, enjoy that. And it's a family event, you know, as a church family. Uh, something we need to do together as, as we encourage the next generation of, uh, of young people in our church. Um, so I hope you all will come. Even if you don't have kids in it, I hope you make it out for that. Um, be a good thing. Well, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into this together. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that though it is cold outside, you have blessed and provided so that it is warm in here, uh, not just with the furnace going, but also uh, in our relationships with one another, that we have warmth and joy and love and peace uh, between each other because we are brothers and sisters who have been brought into one family through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, because of your Holy Spirit and his power to unite us to the Son. Uh, and then we are uh, children of one Father, uh, our Heavenly Father. And Father, we thank you uh, for all that you have done uh, to us and through us and in us to bring that about. And Father, we pray this morning as we look again at the old, old story of how the Savior came from glory to be one of us. Father, we pray that we would see it again with fresh eyes and celebrate the wonder of the Savior having come to us. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is only seven days until Christmas. Seven days. And Christmas is one of my favorite days and times of the year. And I think that the reason that that is, uh, guys, I seem a little hot to me. I don't know if it's loud out there, but it seems hot up here. Um, uh, something truly magical happens at Christmas time, uh, even in our culture, to people who are not necessarily believers in Jesus. They all kind of lean in a little bit to hear. The old story, once again, you know, people who aren't even churchgoers will go and, and look at lights, and they'll go look for a living nativity scene, and they'll uh, look at that, and they'll tell their kids about how Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem, and that there were animals and this kind of thing. And grace descends, I think, at Christmas time in a special way that I can't really describe, but I'll tell you what it's like. Um, if you know me, you know that I, I like movies. I, I like movies because uh, I like stories. And, and movies are one of the very best ways in our culture to tell a good story in a compelling way. And in a good movie, there's often at least one really compelling scene that sticks with you even outside of the, of the story because it's telling you about a truth 
that transcends the story. Uh, about 20 years ago, a movie came out based on a uh, Stephen King novella, uh, and the movie was called The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know, it's on cable all the time. If you've, if you've not seen it, uh, it's worth seeing. And it tells the story of a, of a, of a convict, a man named Andy Dufresne, He's condemned to life in Shawshank Prison up in, uh, up in Maine, and it's a nightmare of a place. It is run by a corrupt and self-righteous warden. It is full of a cadre of sadistic guards, and it is populated by a gang of rapist inmates. And one day, Andy Dufresne locks himself in the warden's office with a donated record uh, of uh, Mozart's Marriage of Figaro. And he puts that aria on, and he puts it out over the PA system, and, and it plays all out through the whole prison. And everybody in the whole place just gets quiet and stands with mouth open as Mozart's aria plays through the prison. And years later, Andy's friend Red, who narrates the movie, describes this event this way. This is what he says. He says, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing, singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words, and it makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and further than anybody in a great place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the, the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. And if I can draw the analogy just a little bit, I think that is what is happening at Christmas time. That a beautiful song from outside and above, everybody down here in our grungy, dirty, corrupt little world is being played and we're hearing it and people who don't normally have anything beautiful come into their lives at Christmas time they hear that beautiful song that God is singing and they stand and they listen and far better than an opera aria in a prison, which is beautiful but has no power to release anyone, the Christmas story is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the gospel that has power to release everyone from slavery to death and sin and the devil and hell. And the Christmas story is about, a, is about God coming down and dwelling among us that he might save us completely and make us clean 
from every wicked, terrible thing we have ever done and make us really free. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to turn with you to Matthew chapter 1 and look beginning at verse 18, the next several verses there in that end of that chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 18 functions in this chapter like a magnifying glass. And what it does is it moves us from the broad sweep of Matthew's genealogy and and Israel's history in the preceding chapter there uh, and causes us to look closely at the person that Matthew is highlighting at the beginning and the end of it. And it gives us some wonderful news in a very understated way. It tells us that God has come near. God has come near. After 42 generations of sinners, and we don't have time this morning to look at all of these people, but you've got, you've got, uh, you've got people in this genealogy that are born out of incest. People that are born out of, uh, a, out of relationships that begin in adultery. You've got people that are born out of relationships that bring that that are created as a result of prostitution. There's all kinds of checkered history that's here. Uh, you know, Jesus is the son of Abraham, who, by the way, uh, gave his wife away two different times, rather than stand up for her. Put the promises of God at risk for his own safety, and gave his wife to another man. You've got David, the adulterer and the murderer. You've got a whole bunch of people that are, it's 42 generations, and if you go through all of the genealogy, you've got an, you've got an amazing catalog of fallible, sinful human beings. And then you come down to the end. To Jesus. And so we read, and the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And if you look closely at the text, and I want you to do that for just a second, so you don't miss what Matthew is telling you. He refers to Jesus not as simply Jesus, the son of Joseph. You know, if, if, if Jesus were Scandinavian, you know, this would be Jesus Josephson. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Jesus Josephson would be his name, right? Uh, but it's not, that's not the name that Matthew uses. He says, Jesus Christ. And if you understand a little bit about your Bible, what you understand, what you need to understand is this. That Christ is the is is a Greek word, and it translates a Hebrew word uh, that is the word Mashiach. Okay, Mashiach. 
The Mashiach is the word from which we get our word, Messiah. Jesus, Messiah. It's not Jesus' last name. It's Jesus, the Messiah. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah. That Matthew is telling us that Jesus is not just the name of another person in a genealogical line of descent from David and from Abraham, but in fact, the person who is the center and the fulfillment of all Old Testament expectation from Genesis 3 through Malachi. That he is the beginning and the end of everything that the people of Israel have been looking forward to. He is the one who, according to God's promise in Genesis chapter 3, will crush the serpent's head and put an end to sin. He is the blessing to all nations that God promised to Abraham and to his seed in chapter 12 and chapter 15 and chapter 17 and chapter 18 of Genesis. Over and over and over again, God promised through you all nations will have a blessing. And Jesus is the central blessing that was to come through Abraham. He is telling us that, he is, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is the person who is the prophet like Moses, who is greater than Moses that Moses prophesied about in Deuteronomy. He is the servant of Yahweh from Isaiah's prophecy and the bringer of the new covenant that Jeremiah and Ezekiel talked about. He's the one who is predicted by Micah who would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. He is the one that Zechariah announced who would be looked on and would be pierced and who would come into town riding on a donkey. This is the Messiah. Matthew is saying. And when he says Jesus Christ, he means to communicate that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this Old Testament history. If you look at at Matthew's genealogy, you see it begins with Abraham, the first Jew, and it ends with Jesus in an important way, the very last one, the most important descendant of Abraham the most important descendant of King David, the fulfillment of everything that had come before. And he goes on to say that this Jesus, Jesus the Christ, was born of Mary and that he was conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit before she came together with her husband. And that is incredible on a number of levels. People in Matthew's day, sometimes I think we think that that people in biblical times were, you know, they were just confused about how babies came into the world. And they just didn't know that, you know, uh, when a man and a woman love each other very much and all this, right? Um, they didn't understand all that. No, they understood exactly where babies came from. And yet Matthew is making the point that even though we know virgins do not become mothers, that Mary is in fact a virgin who has become a mother because the power of God has accomplished what, the hum- what is humanly impossible in such a way that the child who is conceived in her womb is born as the incarnation of the Son of God. He is born with a human nature from Mary and yet conceived by the Holy Spirit in such a way that the child she bears is fully God. 
And what Matthew is telling us in his own understated way is that Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, who was born in Mary's womb, is God coming near to us. That this is God in the flesh has come in a way that can be seen and touched and heard and that he has been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. But it is precisely the unimaginable way of God's entry into the world that leads to a small problem. God has come near, but he's chosen to do so in an unexpected manner. And so at first, Joseph, the man who will raise Jesus to be his son, does not understand what is happening. And neither would you, by the way, if you, if you're fiance shows up pregnant and you know you are not the father you're a little confused by how this might have occurred and so joseph has a problem verse 19 and her husband joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly but as he considered these things behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying joseph son of david Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now picture this scene, if you will. You're a righteous and a pious man, one who strives to keep the law and to obey God in every way that the law commands. You're betrothed to a beautiful young woman about your age, who also seems to be a virtuous and faithful young lady. And somewhere in the middle of the year between your betrothal and your marriage date, you... No, you hear that your fiancé has gone off to live with her cousin for three months. As Luke tells us, that's what happened. She went off to live with her cousin Elizabeth for about three months. And then after her cousin Elizabeth's baby was born, your fiancé comes back, and she is showing. She is pregnant. Now she, She's been gone for three months. You've not touched her. You've not come near to her. But her, ba- her belly is beginning to swell with the obvious signs that a baby is present in her womb. Now understand also that different than our culture, which is more guilt-based, you know, you feel bad because you have done bad, right? This is a shame-based culture where it's not necessarily... Uh, something that you don't necessarily feel bad because you have done badly. You feel bad if you are seen to have done badly. And so as long as you don't get caught, it's okay. right? Shame-based culture is different. And, you, and so, so to have a pregnant fiancé represents a massive loss of face to everybody in your community. And, and so if you proceed with the wedding, everybody's going to do the math. And they go, well, I guess Joseph must be the father. And yet he has not touched her. 
And he doesn't know who the father is, and she's not saying. She's got some story about an angel appearing to her and telling her that she's going to conceive and bear a son, but uh, that seems like a, a wild story to me. Because virgins don't become mothers. This doesn't happen. And so he is thinking, you know, if I marry this girl, I'll have to embrace public shame. And by the way, who wants to marry an unfaithful spouse? Not me. And that's the choice that he has. Because he's a righteous man, he doesn't want to bring more shame on this girl than absolutely necessary. And betrothal meant something different than, an, than engagement means in our culture. If you got betrothed as a young couple, you had to get divorced in order to break that off. And so he decides, you know what, I'm going to just do this quietly, but I'm getting out of this. And so he goes, he thinks, I'm going to get a divorce um, because that is not my child. And so that's what he plans to do. And as he's thinking about that, the angel of the Lord appears to him and explains the situation. He says, he says look, Joseph, I know what you're thinking, but it's not what you think. In fact, it's better than you can imagine. Your fiance is still a virgin. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. In fact, this girl that you are marrying is God's chosen vessel to bear the Messiah. And in light of that, you're to give him the name Jesus, which is the Greek translation for the Hebrew name Joshua. Or Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves because this child, this miracle baby that's born to an ordinary Jewish virgin girl is going to save people from their sins. Can you imagine? Can you imagine waking up from that dream in which an angel of God speaks to you and tells you this? And in verses 22 to 25, they, Matthew explains to us how this is going to happen. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What Matthew is telling us here is the same thing he's been telling us all along in his description of Jesus as the Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and who has descended according to his human nature from David and Abraham. That he is, in fact, the Messiah. 
He is God in the flesh. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And here in verses 22 and 23, Matthew highlights that he is that he is these things by quoting from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 about a virgin who is going to conceive and bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. Now in the original context of Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7 is Isaiah speaking about a girl who is present in the room who is going to be his wife, who is going to have a child. And before the child grows to uh, be an adolescent, Israel is going to experience deliverance, but they are to understand this because the child will represent that God is with them. And they will see his deliverance before the child becomes a teenager. And it's a near-term prophecy. But what Matthew does is to say all things in the Old Testament point forward to Jesus. And they have their greater and more, uh, more complete ful- fulfillment in him. And so Matthew grabs Isaiah 7.14 about a, about a child who will be born and applies it to Jesus as the child who has been born, not through the normal means as with Isaiah and his wife in chapter 8 of Isaiah, you meet his son, is the longest name in the Bible, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Okay. <laughs> um, if you're looking for names for your kid, don't pick that one. All right. It means quick to the slaughter, quick to the plunder. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, he takes that prophecy that refers to Isaiah's current day situation and he applies it to our situation as because that child was born in the ordinary way as Isaiah uh, and his wife came together. This child was born in an extraordinary way through a girl who is still a virgin when the child is born. And he is the greater Emmanuel. He is not just a promise that God is with you and you will see his deliverance come at some point in the future. He is literally God with us. He is God in the flesh, present where you can see Him, talk to Him, hear Him speak, touch Him, come near to Him, because God has literally come down to be with us. It's it's a much bigger fulfillment than anything Isaiah had in mind at the time that he spoke these words. He says, God is literally with us in the person of Jesus. He is the greater Emmanuel, the greater fulfillment from God, of the word from God that he is with us. And Matthew goes on to tell us in verses 24 and 25 that, that Joseph understood all these things. And therefore he obeyed what the angel said. He, in spite of his initial thought, I don't want to marry this girl, he marries the girl. And he waits until the baby is born to consummate the marriage so that the child to be born 
will be a virgin, as Isaiah says. Be born of a virgin, as Isaiah predicted. And he understood that this child is a special child. And so he obeys what the angel says and name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Name him Yahweh saves. Name him Yeshua. Name him Joshua. So that people will understand that this is the God with us that Isaiah was talking about in a greater way. That this is the child who will save God's people from their sins. That this is the greater fulfillment of the God who is actually with us in the flesh. Name Him Jesus for that reason. And Matthew's point in all these verses is that God has come near in an unexpected way, in a way that you could not have predicted, in a way that, in fact, if you were writing a movie, they would say, uh, you got to scrap this, this is way too implausible. <laughs> okay, no one will believe this. And yet, that is exactly what happens at Christmas. That is what we celebrate. That God has come in the flesh to save His people from their sins. God has come in the flesh. And He's not simply recounting all these historical details to satisfy our intellectual curiosity about where Jesus came from. He is telling us these things because He wants us to understand that through thousands of years, 42 generations, you know, I did my genealogy once upon a time, you know, as part of a school project. I got back 15 generations. I thought, well, that's really cool. Get back all the way to, to the city of Lille in France. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty awesome, right? 15 generations, that's 500 years. Okay? 42 generations is like 2,000 years. From between Jesus and Abraham is a massive period of time. And through all that entire period of time, all of the sin and corruption and wickedness and immorality of all these people that are recounted in Jesus' genealogy, through all of that, God has His plan. And it all comes down to this person born of a virgin so that his human nature is not corrupted by the sin that is passed down to every human being through their father. And he is God taking on flesh, visibly and literally keeping the promise of Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And in this unusual and unexpected and wildly implausible way of coming near, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to save us from our sins. And so my question to all of us this morning is this. Do you see the baby in the manger as he truly is? You understand that Jesus is the saving God. The saving God. He is Yahweh, the one who saves. He is the one who brings salvation from sin and death 
and the power of the devil over your life, and ultimately from eternity in hell. He has defeated Satan. He is the one who brings people out of captivity to the devil and into freedom of eternal life and the family of God. Do you see Jesus as He truly is? If not, then today is the day to change your view. Today is the day to change your opinion about who Jesus is, just like Joseph did. Joseph did not initially understand all that was going on. And he can be forgiven for that, I think. Because this is not the normal way that things go in our world. And Joseph had to be confronted directly with a representative from God to tell him, no, Joseph, this is the way things really are. This is who this child really is. This is how this really happened. And maybe you are here today and you don't totally buy this story either. But let me tell you this. This is a word from God to you, just as God sent a word from him to Joseph. God is speaking a word to you from his word. And he is telling you who Jesus really is. And he is making it clear. And so the question that I have for you is this. If you will believe and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who saves, who came near specifically for that purpose to save you and to make you his people and to redeem you and set you free from the penalty of your sins and to bring you into God's own family. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. That Jesus is God in the flesh who came to save you and to save me from sin and death and hell. And God invaded. And Christmas is D-Day when the enemy is going to be defeated and this is the first beachhead of that process. God has invaded human history to bring about salvation for those whom He loves. Do you see Jesus as He truly is? Most of us, I dare say, have done that. Many of us long ago. But don't let the familiarity of the Christmas story. We read this every year. At our house, Christmas morning, we get up and we read Matthew and we read Luke and we read these accounts of the birth of Jesus before we tear into cinnamon rolls and presents and all of that stuff, right? Because we want to remember who Jesus is. And it becomes over, you know, I've done that for 40 years. Ever since I can remember, we've done that. And the story can become very familiar. In fact, many of us could quote big portions of the Christmas story. 
But don't let the familiarity of the Christmas story rob you of the joy and the wonder at the center of it. That God has come near to save you. And to set you free from sin and death. And to bring you into His family. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, the Christmas story is a story unlike any man would ever come up with. No screenwriter for Hollywood would ever invent a tale by which God comes in the flesh in the womb of an ordinary Jewish virgin girl from a town in the middle of nowhere to be born in a barn. It would be sent back as too implausible. It would be a story no one would believe. And yet, Father, it is the story that we believe because we know according to Your Word, that it is true. And we know that it is true because we have met the One who was born in the, in the manger. And we have received salvation from our sin from Him. And Father, therefore, this Christmas we give You praise. And we thank You that it truly is a merry Christmas for us. Because we know that you love us because in a great demonstration of love you came down from heaven, became one of us, lived among us, and died for our sins and rose from the dead to give us new life. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has heard that story and knows that it's true but has never believed and the promise that Yahweh saves. Father, I pray that today would be the day in which they experience salvation and release from their sin and the joy that can be theirs at Christmas and every day after that. And Father, we pray that you would be exalted in our hearts and in our lives today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.